0: Terrific! Many thanks. I hope everybody um, out there is, uh, first of all, well. Um, I hope that I hope that uh, everyone is uh, maintaining under these uh, circumstances, uh, epidemiological, political, and otherwise, and that uh, maybe the next time that we uh, we have one of these calls, we'll all be we'll all be past this. Um, one can hope, anyway. So I wanna talk about a few things uh, and, and try at least to end up on a kind of summary note where we are at the end of this calendar year, at least the academic year obviously is, is in the middle and it's turning into yet another very bizarre academic year as universities have suddenly shut uh, in the last week, two weeks, uh, thanks to the latest wave. So we don't, and that affects our, uh, our discussion um, and, and the, the discussion about 2022. Um, I'll, I'll preface my remarks by, by saying, uh, you know, people always ask me, are things getting better or are they getting worse? And my answer is always yes. So having, having said that and, and launched on that kind of ambiguous contradictory note, let me, Let me talk about a couple of developments that uh, I think are particularly consequential as we we look at the overall situation in this country and internationally. And I want to begin with a report that uh, discusses diversity, equity, and inclusion officials and their pervasive um, bias against Israel. An analysis done by the Heritage Foundation that looked at the Twitter feeds of 741 DEI staffers at 65 different institutions. And what it found was that 96% of the Israel-related tweets were negative including routine condemnation of Israel as an apartheid state, accusing it of genocide and ethnic cleansing, um, and so on. While at the same time, 62% of of the China-related tweets were were positive. And um, there were only, I believe, four tweets registered out of several thousand. That took China to task and used the word genocide in in, in any form, um, and I think that this is a very important this is a very important analysis. It's a very important um, be, because of the obvious importance, the obvious role that diversity, equity, and inclusion um, has suddenly. Assumed on the American campus and in the American workforce. Now, to be honest, uh, this it's not a sudden development. People have suddenly become aware of of this phenomenon, of this social demographic um, institutional phenomenon. That uh, we're we're becoming aware of it now only because of certain kinds of. Outrages, And perhaps because we've all had way, way too much time to sit at home during the pandemic and, and do things like examine the Twitter feeds of 741 DEI staffers out of a, uh, it should be noted, out of a population of, some, of over 2,000 staffers, the, the study couldn't locate um, personal Twitter feeds for, you know, 1,500 or so of these uh, staff members. Um, it's an, it's an institution, it's, it's institutionalized bias within the American University designed to ostensibly um, combat bias and the, the importance, uh, the power of DEI on the campus obviously can't be understated and the power of DEI within the American workforce within corporate America can't be understated either. And uh, it's an ominous, it's an ominous finding, which is a, which actually has hard numbers um, associated with it. DEI very much sets the tone for campus, campus culture, campus society. DEI very much permeates up and down through uh, student government, through faculty governance, to the uh, to institutional governance today and it 's an all, it can be regarded i think in some respects as a kind of alternate power base that has developed within higher education and obviously within k through twelve education that um, seeks to accrue all the institutional power over hiring and firing over um, over language and discourse, over what is acceptable behavior and what are acceptable attitudes and not to to itself and to its own cadre. And this cadre has very much spread out, um, certainly in in higher education. And as we are learning day by day um, throughout uh, K through 12 education, in the guise of critical race theory, in the guise of, um, in the guise of uh, teacher certification, teacher training, uh, in the guise of training social workers, all of these areas and many, many more, these kinds of attitudes, um, conformist, um, rigid, uh, racist in the name of uh, anti-racist, anti-racism have been um, have been well documented. Uh, and in, in December, at least, the end of end of uh, November and into December, we've had a, a number of very good examples of this power structure in action. And um, I'll point to maybe two or three. One uh, the, the first one is the uh, the case at the university of southern california of um of the campus diversity and equity and inclusion representative woman by the name of yasmin um, masha an engineering student at at usc who was um who it was discovered had tweeted Um, that she wanted to, quote, kill ever, eh, kill every motherfucking Zionist, unquote. And um, this set off rather a firestorm as, uh, as it was discovered, she's a longtime BDS supporter, a longtime uh, Hamas supporter, a longtime advocate of rocketing Israeli civilians and and uh, killing Israeli civilians going back at least a decade more than a decade to to the point to the time when she was a child is there's a I think very telling picture of her um, dressed up in a kafia holding a knife um, in in a social media posting and she's the uh, she is the DEI senator in the student government. She also was some kind of uh, student mentor in the College of Engineering at at USC. As a result of of this discovery, this exposure, um, and firestorm, really, she was removed from her official mentoring role. She was condemned by uh, USC faculty and the USC president, who. was quite blunt in in her condemnation of this senator. However, she was not removed by uh, from as DEI um, official by the student senate. This was beyond the power of the uh, president of the university and the uh, the college, uh, the the student government rather, um, did not see fit to take any action. She then has complained that uh, she's the real victim in, in all this and that the, the evil Canary Mission website has, uh, uh, has ruined her life. Um, I'll see if I can find the, her exact words. Um, and that uh, she's again she's she's the real victim and uh, that she claims that uh, she claims that she's been subject to all sorts of threats which of course are unacceptable and and so on Uh, but she will she's a a view into the pipeline of DEI apparatchiks who are created actually when they're, when they're juveniles, uh, when they're, when they're kids wielding knives and wearing kafias in social media postings, who then uh, uh, thrust themselves forward in student governments at at colleges and universities and then who, who then go on uh, to become officials in other in other kinds of settings. And those of us who've been involved with these issues for a long time, such as myself and such as Asaf, I think it's fair to say that we used to believe that, oh, the real world would burn away some of these, um, uh, some of this animus and and some of this, some of these hostilities. And because the real world, the corporate world, uh, the professional world wouldn't stand for this kind of overt hatred and, Nonsense, but this is no longer the case by uh, by a long shot, and it's another indication of the institutionalization of BDS within first American higher education and then in American professions, uh, professional education and, and professions as a whole that um, that we have uh, you know, people like that assuming positions of responsibility. So I'll give you another uh, example, and that was uh, from from December, and that is the resolution adopted by the uh, CUNY, the City University of New York Law Student Government Association, which demanded, among other things, that CUNY divest from corporations invested in Israel, which is very standard, and associations with American, academic, uh, Israeli, sorry, Israeli academic institutions, um, also pretty standard. And, and I quote, cut all ties with organizations that repress Palestinian organizing. Specifically, it named Hillel, Camera, Stand With Us, Bulldogs for Israel, Israel Independence Day Committee, United for Israel, Israel Student Association, Students Supporting Israel at City College, and others. It went beyond this to demand that the school end its contracts with a variety of American corporations, not simply uh, the usual ones like, oh, I don't know, Boeing and Raytheon, um, but specifically Thomson Reuters, which uh, is the provider of the widely used Westlaw database, standard uh, legal database, because this company um, both had a, a leading Israeli um, uh, employee, and it was also it's also used by the Department of Homeland Security and Immigration and Customs Enforcement. Uh, the the CUNY chancellor condemned this, and uh, and he, he was especially irritated by the claim that the uh, that the school was uh, complicit in Israeli war crimes, so called. Um, and by a variety of other uh, Jewish groups, but it was supported. It was supported by the uh, CUNY Law Students for Justice in Palestine group, the CUNY Law Jewish um, student group, and twenty other um, student groups, law groups. Um, and this is um, a harbinger of things to come within the legal. Profession it sets up a confrontation between society and 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 professionals potentially because before too long these kinds of individuals and these kinds of attitudes are going to exist within professional education, uh, professional associations, continuing uh, education in law and in other professions. Um, there will be lawyers. There will be prosecutors. There will be judges, and so on, who espouse these attitudes either um, loudly or or softly. So we're looking at, um, I think, indications of sea changes within American society. And and on on that note, I'll I'll move on. to, And, and there are many other. Um, specific campus incidents that we could point to and, and and talk about. And I'll I'll mention a number of these in the BDS monitor, which will come out around New Year's. But I want to continue on this theme of um, institutional change, the pervasiveness of, of change, and go back to um, our old friend, um, some of our old friends in the squad, Representative Ilhan Omar and uh, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and their and their associates. Um, as a as a sidebar here, I, I will simply say that um, BDS is a problem in in the American democratic. Um, party it's not a problem in the American Republican Party The Republican Party has all sorts of other problems um, not specifically related to this particular uh, sphere or this particular call to exclude Jews it has all sorts of everybody's got problems but uh, the Democratic Party has has these particular problems so um, We'll point to a representative, Jamal Bowmans, who's, who's actually my representative, um, his trip to Israel sponsored by J Street, which got him into an immense amount of trouble with the so-called Democratic Socialists of America party, which condemned him for this trip and for his support of uh, supplemental funding for um, for Israel to replenish Iron Dome, Uh, supplies, but which decided not to expel him. And um, uh, AOC uh, supported Bowman and and said that, and I quote, (laughs) um, that he has been an incredible champion on this this issue, given the community that he's in, which is to say the Jews in Westchester um, constraints on on him from following his his otherwise pure progressive instincts. Um, Now we can we can debate whether it's in semantic or logical terms. This is an anti an expression of anti-Semitism and um, we don't need to go into that really now. Um, But it feeds into something much more consequential and that is the legislation passed by a narrow margin by the House of Representatives proposed by Ilhan Omar to create an Islamophobia monitor within the um, State Department which would issue uh, an annual report about the state of Islamophobia. Um, Islamophobia is famously a a kind of weasel word or cover word for um, For any any criticism of Muslims or Islam that is deemed to be um, that is deemed to be um, unacceptable by by Muslims or Islam, it is famously it was created by the organization of uh, the OIC, and I'm forgetting what that acronym stands for back in the 19 uh, early 19. 80s and instrumentalized as uh, something that's on par with anti-Semitism, which has a kind of definition going back 2000 or so years. The danger being that any criticism of Muslims for for their overt anti-Semitism, for theological anti-Semitism, for expressions of of anti-Israel bias um, will be will be deemed by this new monitor. Should the bill pass the Senate, as Islamophobic, and um, any kind of statements, uh, the 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 phrase is already, is already wielded widely by um, by uh, American Muslim, particularly Muslim Brotherhood-oriented uh, organizations, as a as a bludgeon against their critics. And I'll give you an example, and this will be, I guess, more or less where where I'll end. Um, American Muslims for Palestine, which is the leading um, BDS organization in the country, it supports it's the, the parent organization of National Students for Justice in Palestine. It's it's a, a kind of um, branch of the Muslim Brotherhood in America, which includes Care and uh, and other organizations. They issued a report um, in, in December called Working with Zionist Organizations that provided guidance about good and bad Jewish groups. And that's the term that they use, good and bad. And overall, the report characterizes the, all, of the, all of the mainstream uh, American Jewish organizations as, as bad. Um, Jewish community relations councils, synagogues, uh, anyone who's doing interfaith dialogue—these um, are all bad. And it adopts explicitly the anti-normalization, uh, anti-normalization stance of um, the Palestinian Authority and uh, and state and states. And I quote: "Finally." If the Muslim community is truly to stand with Palestinians, it must follow the policies of the BDS, Boycott, Divestment, and Sanction Movement. This global peaceful solidarity movement sponsored by 170 Palestinian civil society institutions calls for institutional economic divestment from Israeli companies and boycotting of their consumer goods, cultural boycott, and an academic boycott, um, and so on and so on and so on. The uh, the principles of BDS, it continues, clearly call for a withdrawal of support from institutions engaged in violation of Palestinian human rights. This must necessarily include Jewish Zionist organizations who lend material, financial, and political support to the occupation. So basically, the entirety, 95% of the American Jewish uh, population and uh organizations have been declared bad um, precisely on the basis of of BDS and the American Muslim community has been instructed precisely on the basis of BDS to um, uh, to separate from American Jews now to to drive the point home I'll, I'll simply quote um, zara Bilu the a former campus BDS activist, um, the cares San francisco area director um, a, a perfect example of the of the pipeline from from campus to in this case national um, American Muslim organizations who stated in a talk for American Muslims for Palestine that American Muslims must quote oppose the vehement fascists, but oppose the polite Zionists too. They are not your friends." And she goes on to say, um, when we talk about Islamophobia and Zionism, let's be clear about the connections. We need to pay attention to the Anti-Defamation League. We need to pay attention to the Jewish Federation. We need to pay attention to the Zionist synagogues. We need to pay attention to the Hillel chapters on our campuses. We have to connect the dots between the organizations that promote Zionist agendas materials, marketing, and legislation are the same ones that want to ban Muslims, the same ones that want to pass anti-Sharia legislation, um, and so on. So this is as, I think, explicit statement of, um, <laughs> one might say, uh, you know, certainly anti, an anti-Zionist agenda, but uh, arguably an anti-Semitic agenda as well. And, it, and this comes from, uh, from an official of CARE, the a putative uh, American Muslim Human Rights um, Organization. Um, and it points to a, a pervasive problem within all of these interrelated sectors, with, within higher education, within politics, within human rights so-called, um, and within political parties, specifically one um and where this process ends is is thus far unclear obviously it's tied to politics and we can speculate we can all speculate about where uh where trends in american politics are are heading uh, now that um arguably midterm season is is upon us as you know as everybody is contemplating the 2022 midterms, and then the 2024 presidential elections, whomever that might involve. Um, but these kinds of polarization, this, this kind of polarization, and specifically BDS-oriented um, hatred and anti-Semitism, um, aimed not simply at at Israel, but at a specifically, explicitly American Jews. Um, not simply for their support of Israel, but for their, uh, but in a negative sense, if they don't fail to, if they don't break with Israel, they don't condemn Israel. Um, this is, so we stand at a kind of um, ominous point. It reminds me of the situation in in Britain uh, where the Labour Party Turned pervasively against uh, against Israel under the leadership of Jeremy Corbyn and the Momentum movement, and then has spent the last few years um, after uh, Corbyn's resounding electoral defeat, uh, trying to regain its standing with the with the British Jewish community, much to the dismay of uh, of, Brit- uh, of a large number of British Muslims, not not all certainly. And its its left wing, left wing base. How much of this is uh, is analogous to what's going on in the U.S. Uh, we can we can discuss, but, um, but it's not good where where we're at, and I think we'll we'll be facing a very difficult 2022. Uh, but the parameters will change quickly as we as the uh, the midterm season approaches and. Um, and this will be among the issues that is used as a bludgeon, as a football, uh, as a rallying cry by both political parties and by all sorts of uh, social groups and cultural groups um, in the future. So let me stop there. And let's um, try and take some some questions.
1: Great. Thank you, Alex, as always, uh, for the analysis and there is obviously a lot to discuss and uh uh the uh the, the landscape is uh you know is unfortunately not optimistic but obviously a lot to discuss um so uh let me uh also uh, this ties into a question that Kathy Horwitz uh just raised now in the uh in the Q in the questions uh and the question and something that i wanted to bring up with you uh that you did not mention in your in your remarks is of course um the middle east studies association may oh, as, right. as far as far as their uh latest uh, uh call for uh the boycott movement uh and maybe you want to talk a little bit about that uh, and Kathy is also asking, you know, question, you know, what what people can do. Uh, maybe we want to talk a little bit about that point as well, uh, given the fact of how much that has been in the news of late in the BDS space. Right. And I, I'm looking at my notes, and
0: I have I have I wrote that down, and I just um, passed over it. So uh, apologies. Uh, the Middle East Studies Association, uh, which is based now in um, Washington, D.C at its annual meeting at the beginning of December of, at its business, at the business meeting, um, recommended that a full BDS resolution be um, sent to the membership to be voted on uh, in 2022. And this is the culmination of many years of, of activism within the organization. The organization has several thousand members uh, and it represents in a in a formal sense, you might say, um, Middle East studies in in America. It, uh, it is populated by individuals who teach Middle Eastern studies in history departments, government departments, anthropology departments, and so on and so on and so on. The structural alignment of the, the formal recommendation by the organization that it adopt Um, BDS, and which calls for boycotting Israeli institutions. Uh, It pointedly calls for not boycotting individuals, uh, Israeli individuals. Um, And it also pointedly calls uh, for the organization to work with members who wish to adopt BDS or promote BDS, uh, that it will help them try and, and address Local U.S. state regulations of is in keeping with trends that we've seen in in other in other organizations, most of which are are smaller. Um, but the the obvious conclusion is that has to be is that a wide swath, probably a majority, and we'll see how how the vote turns out. Uh, and certainly the leadership of american middle eastern studies uh is is relentlessly opposed to the, to israel and, and any sort of academic intellectual as well as political social economic interaction with with the state of israel it's a theological position that states that israel is in effect uh, the, the the worst thing in the world it's the little it's the little Satan Um, and my attitude is that this is uh, enormously (laughs) enormously discrediting Uh, it's telling and it's discrediting and it should be disqualifying in the sense that anyone who signs one of these things should um, really not be taken seriously as an expert as a, a much less as a, a representative of, of higher education or you know, faculty member. And it should be disqualifying from uh, from participation in, in public discourse on, on the Middle East. If you're willing to, um, if you're anxious to see one state uh, within the Middle East dismantled and, dis- or, and or destroyed, um, then you're Attitude. Your your opinions really are extreme and um, un- unrealistic, and that you should um, you should not be admitted to to normative into normative discourse or normative policy discourse in particular. And I would argue that um, anybody who signs one of these things really should that should be a a mark against or a formal disqualification when it comes to um, let's say, the U.S. government and uh, using uh, using consultants and um, experts and so on. As to what we can do about it, I don't know what we can much do about it, except that if you're, let's say, if you're obviously your alma mater, you should be in touch with your alma mater um, and, and protest if uh, that it will be um, discrediting and disqualifying if if that department or individuals within within that university sign on to this and that you the you the alum will be um, will will protest and withdraw your support, certainly the same should go on at state institutions um, i think overall and and one should um it's important to point out here I think you should look for look for alternatives if you're a professional you should look for alternative professional associations such as the Association for the Study of Middle Eastern Africa um, which is resolutely not political uh, about these kinds of these kinds of issues in particular Um, and one should um, support stances and scholars and organizations like Asmia, um, which, which are not explicitly biased, uh, which are explicitly racist. How much of that's going to help, I can't really say. Um, but I think the other thing to realize is that this fits into a larger pattern of higher education discrediting itself in the eyes of, in the, eyes of the world, in the eyes of higher education, uh, the eyes of the American populace, rather. And there is simply less and less and less reason to take these people seriously, um, anything that they say, anything that they do, to give them money, um, to treat them as you know respectable intellectuals and um, the alien I, I've spoken about this I think every time you know we do one of these talks, uh, I do one of these talks. Um, the alienation continues to grow, and it's the exposure of these kinds of attitudes particularly at the K-12 through level, through the mechanism of, of uh, critical race theory, uh, as well as the structural mechanisms of DEI, that is increasing the alienation of um, Americans from key institutions, like education. And this will not end… this will not end well. Um, Again, some of this is going to be up in the air uh, as we approach the the midterms, and certain kinds of triangulation and and uh prevarication uh, is already kind of afoot, but um, I think more and more people are voting with their feet. I always point to the crisis in the humanities and social sciences where enrollments have plummeted um, to the point where in some institutions uh whole departments have been abolished and continue to be, and tenured faculty laid off precisely in these kinds of disciplines history government english sociology um, which have um have have succumbed to the political contamination and what will come out of this at, at, uh, whether there's a new dawn at the other end uh is is hard to say. I hope I live long enough to see it, so
1: we hope so as well. more about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, well thank you for that uh, going to uh, another question by our friend Tom levy in uh, apropos your comments, uh which he is very appreciative of um you know talking a little bit about how do we um how do we talk about these topics to uh, stakeholders uh, and Jewish philanthropists that are concerned about anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism? Uh, and uh, you know, as far as getting the message across to universities as it relates to uh, BDS at large, but maybe also particularly, you know, when we're talking about Mesa, you know, as it affects departments, institutions, uh, you know, there, there is, a, you know, there's a lot, uh, there, there is a lot of. Um, Jewish money that is being poured into these institutions, uh, and, and, and talking about the specifics of what the products actually are versus what the intent of the gift was uh, was for, uh, there seems to be uh, at times a lost in translation. Well, I'll make two. I'll make two points um, that I that
0: I usually make. The, the first is that. No sane person should give money to a college or university, period. Because, and that's, that sounds extreme, but it's, it's really, it's really not. Uh, They're going to take your money and they're going to use it for whatever they want. And they're going to promise you up and down that it won't be used for things that you disapprove of, but it will be. Um, Or it will free up money elsewhere to, 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 to allow bad things to happen. On the other hand, um, there is no group of, of people on earth who are less um, less open to persuasion on these issues than um, alumni. And within that group, there is no there is no subsection that is more that is, I think, less open to persuasion than Jewish alumni. And there are all sorts of historical reasons and there are all sorts of personal reasons, but people love their old school and they always and they always have. And after You know, more than 15 years of trying to persuade alums to either not give or to give carefully or to give specifically um, I don't I I haven't seen much success um, because universities are magically adept and we all know this at at uh, at pulling the pulling the wool over the eyes of of alums and and uh, particularly wealthy ones and whispering things that alums want to hear yes yes this problem will be taken care of oh it's not going to be a problem um, and and this this keeps the keeps the money flowing now I've seen one or two reports this year Late this year, that yes, maybe as a result of um, the larger DEI, cult- uh, critical race theory situation crisis, that maybe some donations have been have been withheld. Uh, I'm not so I'm not so sure. But you know, we'll we'll see at the end of this calendar year, at the end of the fiscal year, and so on. But what can be done? I I. I I I don't want to throw up my hands in in despair and say that nothing can or much less should be done. I think that um, I think that when I, I think that uh, you know honesty is 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 important. Uh, talking to donors, in particular, that uh, and and you know our, our side always talks about f- facts and f- comes prepared with facts and figures that, you know these are the these are the facts and that that does very little to um you in, in a in a larger environment a larger cultural environment where feelings are everything where manifestations of strong feelings are um, taken as as a kind of truth in in themselves but I think if one has good relations with a donor I think one should simply lay out all the facts and figures and you know, print up a bunch of stuff from the Amha Initiative or from SPME, give them, you know, print out the last year's worth of BDS monitor and say, look, there are pervasive structural problems. And you know bring in the testimony of, of professors and students and show how they've been abused, and show how the money has been abused, and show how the lies have. Have multiplied about addressing these these problems, which is you know kind of anti-Semitism crisis on on campus and within other institutions, and um, you know I don't think you know there there are some people like our friend Liel Libowitz, who who counsel that American Jews should simply withdraw from a, institutions of higher learning, you know, or cease their involvement. With institutions of higher learning, I think that I think that as a kind of statement that makes a, a lot of sense, but in in real political immediate terms, it's it it doesn't, and it's really not not possible. But um, I don't know how do you how do you argue with institutions that lie to you? How do you argue with people who want to be lied to? That's 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 my my summary and I you know I I ask everyone who's on this call uh, for for advice about this and um, you know if we had a magic uh, if there was a magic bullet we would have used it a long time ago but there but there isn't not one yet not one yet but I think but I will say the institutions are are in a sense doing the job for us in that they're the, the abuse is so blatant. The abuse is so widespread. The abuse is so so on display that um, and it's part of a larger cultural crisis that uh, something's got to give. Um, I don't know what. Will there be a collapse? Um, I don't know. There is a collapse going on. I'll say parenthetically, there is a. A slow-moving, which uh, demographic collapse, enroll an enrollment crisis, which will intensify in the next five to ten years. This will, this will bring about changes uh, of a sort that I don't, I don't really, don't really know.
1: Uh, and we did see Alex some impact. You know, when it came to like, you know, what happened with Oberlin with the court case there and other places where there have been. Uh, where there have been significant lawsuits that have taken on institutions that have indeed infected, you know, to your point, that have affected significantly enrollment uh, of the institutions. Right. Um, Portland State, let's say. Golden, uh, what's
0: it called? Golden Gate uh, State University. Right. There there are individual localized crises where terrible uh, abuse uh, of of Jews in particular by faculty and um, other students is, is exposed and, um, and this leads to, to sensible parents and sensible kids saying, I'm not going to go there, I'm not going to give them my money. The institutions um, limp on, and the ones that have gone out of business thus far have, have gone out of business for larger economic reasons and um, demographic reasons not because their policies related to dei or cult, uh, critical race theory or Jews or Israel have have precipitated a specific crisis that has collapsed enrollment and and fundraising I think that's conceivable I would even think that that would be desirable um, but but it's not it's not here yet it's, it may be a while away, if it ever happens.
1: Great. Thank you. Uh, I'll be continued on that one. Obviously, there's a lot to discuss on the funding stuff, and that will be a, a part of the ongoing challenge. Uh, let me move on to David Rosenberg's two questions, and so if we can combine them, uh, You know, looking at making sure that we try to get to some uh, a few other questions here. Uh, so David is asking particularly about the question of the uh, California requirement for the critical ethnic cleansing and the support of the teachers unions um and, and and you know separately he was asking related to your last comment um uh, you know in particular about donations uh that are directed towards killo groups are those donations uh better than other donations um i know the answer but you know i'll let, I'll let you tackle that uh, but maybe you want to start first with the california related to the critical uh, ethnic, uh, the, the ethnic studies part Well, the ethnic studies
0: part, which is just to contextualize a little bit, um, the California state legislature. uh, Put has basically and the governor signed off on legislation requiring that students in in high schools and now in community colleges take um, ethnic studies courses. Ostensibly, because this this somehow reflects the the complex ethnic makeup of the state of California and um, is a salutary a salutary thing which um, which undermines of uh, the, the prevailing white supremacy of the education system and of of California society as a whole su- such as it such as it is and and there's a long backstory which I won't get into here and the Amcha initiative has been really the best resource on this and on top of the issue from the very beginning. But in a nutshell, uh, early iterations of this curriculum characterized um, Israel as a, in effect, a settler colonial state and, um, and American Jews as being um, pretty much exclusively um, Ashkenazi, Western European, uh, uh, and, West, and of Western European, origin which allied, which made them in effect white people with white privilege and so on later iterations toned many of these things down a bit and sort of balanced it out and lightened it up a, a bit but um the framework where one one group where the the very framework of of proposing that there is this thing called white supremacy um without without defining it in terms of european origins or or western enlightenment concepts um is designed to to cast all the different ethnic groups of California, and there are lots and lots and lots, obviously, as there are in, in most parts of the country, um, as as illegitimate, and in in other countries, this has gone in, in other in other directions It has other kinds of has similar but, but unique, also unique parameters, um, but you know the the bottom line is that uh, you know even though there's you know an hour of discussion or, or presentation or two hours, whatever it is, about Jews in the world, which now includes Sephardi and Mizrahi Jews. Um, Jews and Israel are basically still um, settler colonial white supremacists and um, a- aligned with the evil settler colonial regime of the of the United States, which is relentlessly bad because it Crushes indigenous people all over the world, including in California. And there is a more, you know, the, the fact is, and this has been documented, that this so called toned down version of the curriculum, um, you know, the official, officially stamped curriculum, um, is, has also been replaced in some cases by a far more radical curriculum, a, a liberation curriculum developed by some of these, uh, the same uh, teachers, which goes beyond, um, which just goes beyond, and also using older <laughs> versions of the curriculum. So the, the, the upshot is what goes on in the classroom has relatively little to do with what the governor happened to sign um, in, in the bill that comes across his, his desk. And it represents an effort to um, deliberately fragment American society into um, into different ethnic rival ethnic groups uh, as a part of an identity politics strategy which in, in which um, the those who orchestrate the strategy are the ultimate beneficiaries and the concept of America as a melting pot or as a you know something else. As a multi-ethnic society, um, within a, a, a democratic republic, is deliberately lost, and this this strategy and this this kind of curriculum is spreading throughout the country. Um, it's under discussion in um, Massachusetts and elsewhere and it's also a uh, uh, you know again if we're hearing about it if it gets into the papers if it, then it's already there it's already being used it's already in the classroom and we have lots of examples uh you know the pandemic i think hasn't been good for much but you know uh, when you when you have the ability through zoom to see into the classroom and you see you know Teachers who hang Palestinian flags next to, to pictures of uh, Ho Chi Minh and and Mao, um, you have a unique picture, unique, unique vision into what is actually going on in the classroom. And there was a whole thing, and and this had direct political results in the um, Virginia governor's race in in the fall. Um, <clears throat> And it's causing a huge a huge backlash and it's again discrediting <laughs> discrediting to k through twelve education um, and the the k through twelve education industrial complex which is vast teachers unions are the largest um, contributor it's the largest political contributors to political campaigns um, in the country so uh, you know People are far far more aware of what's going on now than than ever before. What can be done um, first thing is to read whatever your kids are are bringing home and and to protest if if there's something that it works against your your values and your you know concept and then hope that um you don't and hope that if you stand up at a school board meeting and protest these things that you're not either. Thrown out by security or investigated by the FBI which is which is going on because the Justice Department issued this letter at the behest of school board uh, a national school board association that uh, that claimed they were under threat from from angry parents who were um, angry because their children are being t- taught to hate America and also being ha- taught to hate Israel and being taught to you know will not have such great attitudes towards jews so um what was the other question i'm sorry i, I
1: was, no uh, it's all good so uh, uh, the other part of the question you know just you know just keeping you know in mind uh our clock uh you know uh, you know <coughs> not our friend here uh was the question related to um whether or not donations to hello you know we're going to your last comment about the funding uh how does that uh you know are, there, are those donations can those donations be trusted I guess is basically you know uh, with David's question the short answer is
0: um, you the donor have to do maximum due diligence on the specific Hillel that you're contributing to and that you have to look very carefully at their programs at their leadership at um, how they how they treat students, Jewish students and and other students. There's no no real rule of thumb, I think, but the open Hillel movement of of a few years ago has made considerable inroads into Hillel's nationwide, and that by no means is Hillel a uniformly um, pro-Israel or Zionist kind of uh, or Organization or phenomenon, let's say, and, uh, you know, you have to you have to look at what's what's going on and that some places are some places are more, um, <laughs> Pro BDS than pro Israel and some places are, are very pro Israel. So be careful. On the other hand, I will say that. Um, uh, you know, in general, uh, Chabad's on campus have been a rapidly growing phenomenon, and because they are more um, religiously conservative, which is to say they have an Orthodox orientation, they are uniformly um, pro-Israel. Again, you know, Israel doesn't dominate. Um, Necessarily, Chabad's or or Hillels, it's been it's been the BDS movement and and pro-BDS uh, Jewish students <clears throat> who have made it an issue within Hillels specifically, um, trying to to break what had been until a few years ago, ten years ago maybe, um, a very very uniform pro-Israel uh, kind of stance. On the part of the organization, uh, the organization and its many subsidiaries. So got to do your, got to do your due diligence.
1: Right. Unfortunately, you know, uh, obviously there's a lot more questions we did not get to today. And uh, again, I apologize for that. there's, uh, there's a lot going on and we do our best to get to everything we can. There's a lot to tackle, uh, but we hope that you will email us at SPME.org and we will do our best to respond to them. Uh, I wanna thank uh, Alex as always for taking the time to talk to us this afternoon. Uh, a lot, some of these things will be, these topics will be expanded on in the forthcoming BDS Monitor that Alex mentioned will be coming out towards the end of the year. Uh, and so look forward to that. Uh, I would also want to take this opportunity now as being this being our uh, last webinar of the year uh, to take this opportunity to wish everybody on the call uh, a happy and healthy new year. and I hope that you know we will continue uh, you know to see everybody is in, in a better place going forward next year and you know at least in, on the uh, and that everybody's staying safe and healthy wherever they are. Uh, and that we are, you know, at some point get to, uh, you know, get out of some of these uh, challenges that we're facing. Uh, as always, we will be tackling a lot of these, you know, issues. And uh, so look, uh, look, uh, pay your attention out there for notices that will be coming out as far as Alex's talk, as well as other guest speakers that will be coming uh, to address us uh, in the coming year. Um, so uh, with that, with all that being said, Alex, any final words on your end as well?
0: No, just uh, thanks to everybody for for um, being on the call. Thanks for staying involved uh, and keeping your eyes on the on the situation wherever you are and and be in touch with us. And the main thing is to stay stay healthy.
1: Great. Thank you everybody again for uh, this afternoon. And, And again, as Alex said, stay healthy and safe. Uh, and, and if there, of course, as always, if there is any issues that anybody comes across along the way, uh, as always, please feel free to reach out to us and we will do our best to respond in a timely fashion. So have a happy, healthy new year and a good day.